a brand new episode of the Happy Productive Podcast is about to begin. It's time to be inspired by simple and actionable solutions for you and your business. If you're an established entrepreneur or just laying down the first brick of your future empire, the mantra is the same. We will flip any failure into a positive and use it to our advantage. This show is all about turning coal into diamonds. With the right plan and mindset, anything is possible. I'm Jennifer John, your host, business coach, and founder of Best Planner Ever. And I'm here to help you achieve all your ambitious goals. Success is closer than you think. Let's do this. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to today's episode of Happy Productive. I don't know, I might be psychic. I just have a little feeling that you're absolutely going to love this conversation today. My <laughs> special guest is Teresa Vaza. She is a leadership expert, a certified executive coach, and the former human resources executive with over 20 years, you guys, 20 years of corporate experience. I did not survive in corporate for 20 years. I made it like three. <laughs> she's a highly skilled, she's highly skilled, you guys, in leading change, building executive teams, heart-centered leadership, increasing employee engagement, especially these days, that's so, so important, and fostering psychologically safe workplaces. Teresa, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be here. I know, I know. When I was looking at your website and checking you out, I was just like, oh my gosh, we have like 400 things that we could talk about today. I know, I know. know. It'll be good. It will be good. So one of the things I noticed on your website, you had a free download and you guys, I'm at the end and Teresa is going to share where you can find all of her stuff at. But when I was checking out your website, you have a download your free stop doing list. I love this Mm -hmm. so much. Do you want to just like talk about what inspired you to create this piece of information? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, Probably my own experience of not doing it. (laughs) It's the first thing I will say. No, but it was inspired because most of my work is with executives. And one of the things that I have found time and time again is that one of the leading conversations is around time. It's a, and again, productive, happy, productive podcast, productivity and time always comes up. And one of the more kind of radical approaches, I don't know if it's radical, but it's certainly helpful is that it's not so much about, you know, managing the time per se. It's about making choices that align with your values and stopping those activities that don't. And so I really work with my clients to start putting together tasks, strategies, projects, that are not an actual match for the career that they're trying to create for themselves. And that requires stopping things. And so it for some people, that can be radical when you're so used to the long to-do list. And I'm coming in there and saying, your to-do list is now has three things on it and you're going to stop everything else. Right. And it's liberating, but it does feel rather radical at first. I'm sure it does. And for so many of us who are the list crosser offers, and this was something yeah. that when I created my planner, best planner ever, the section with the to-do list, there are only three lines for your A task, which are your most important things to move yeah. forward today. And there's three lines for the Bs. And it is not an endless to-do list. And that concept, I think, for some people, is really tough to wrap your brains around. And I think there's actually some deeper psychology that goes there, which I I would love to dive in with you. And so when people go from, I feel really good about myself because I've checked 14 things off my list today 
to you're going to do three things today and you're going to do three things like really yeah. well and focus on those three. Do you find that like they they have a little panic attack? Does it does it affect oh, yeah. their self-confidence, their worthiness, like all of this? Like yeah. what do you see? Oh, for sure it does. And I I think it's um it's kind of like when we have an addiction if I were to equate it with something, when we're addicted to crossing things off a list, and again, I put my hand up there because I'm definitely wired to be someone that likes to do, there is a rush of energy, of a, a rush of adrenaline that comes from the feeling that you are able to cross off six, seven, eight things off a list. And when you're challenged to say, hold up, are these eight, nine, 10 things actually revenue generating or are they moving your strategy forward? Are they building relationships? Are they aligned to your values of spending more time with your family per se? Then what happens is that the list grows shorter, but that can create a sense of panic, almost like, but I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. And so we do get into a bit of the psychology role. Well, what is enough? Like what is actually moving your business or your career forward? I mean, you're a business coach. I'm more of a corporate coach uh, with executives, but that is partly what we are trying to do is to start to create focus and clarity so that they actually walk away from their day having more energy versus less energy. And I don't know about you, but when I have 10 things on a list and I've only gotten through six, which is still a lot, I feel drained. Most of my executives that I work with feel drained. And that's why they come to us. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because, and it's, it's interesting to me, like, generally one day I can get in there and I can just like, you know, put in the long day, get all the things crossed off my list. But then I don't have time at night for anything else because I'm wiped out. And then the next day and the day after and the day after, usually two or three days after, like I'm feeling it when Mm -hmm. I just pushed, you know, way, way too hard on a day. And it's interesting to me how like making that shift because, and I love that you use the word addicted. Okay. I'm going to tell a quick story about a a coach who called called me out on my bullshit. So I, um, the business (laughs) coach that I hired to work, to hire to work with me, And I said, you know, my goal is to work fewer hours. Like I want to work fewer hours. And of course it wasn't happening. And after a couple of weeks, he's like, Jen, here's the deal. Like business owners get addicted to working all these hours. It's no different than an an alcoholic with alcohol. And for me, that hit me like a ton of bricks that I was addicted to anything because I don't drink. I've never done drugs. I didn't even give my kids a binky because I was like, well, I don't want to break them (laughs) of the habit, you know, and it works great. They were fine. I never had to break the habit. So it really hit me hard. That idea of being addicted to Mm -hmm. working so many hours. And it really made me stop and think because it's like, holy crap, you know what I am. And in many ways, like if you have something difficult to deal with, oh, I'm not going to deal with that because I'm so busy yeah. working. Yeah. Right. You can just like, oh you can like shelve all kinds of things because being busy is very socially acceptable. We're important. You know, we matter because we're so busy. And as I get yeah. older and grow my businesses bigger, I just am seeing it for just the load, giant load of bullshit that it really and truly yeah. is. Yeah. And, and I would love to hear what you, what do you see? Like when you're working with these high level executives? You know, much of the same thing. And and I have to tell you, Jennifer, like I come by this easily because 
my story is one of which I did actually burn out in 2015. And I, I don't, and I don't use the term burnout lightly. I think it is a specific event that occurs and I don't want to have it just be relegated to just stressful symptoms. But part of that wake up call back in 2015 was the realization that I was a workaholic. And I can honestly say that that is a thing. And my clients fall into that camp as well. And part of it is, um, well, a number of things. Part of it is upbringing, conditioning, conditioned tendencies to seek validation through putting your hand up for more work. And so we come by this easily. And so part of the work I do with executives, and you probably see this too, Jennifer, is we have to rewire the belief that more is better. And that's why I love the stop doing and this focus on less is more and really unraveling this belief that busyness equates to importance. Busyness does not necessarily equate to importance. It equates to just being busy. And so what matters is what I like to call meaningful intent, is what you are working, working on or completing in a day Is it intentional? Is it meaningful? And is it moving you forward? And as coaches, we can keep leaders accountable to that mission. And part of that is helping them work through that panic that arises when they don't get the instant zing that comes from doing 10 things in a day and instead doing two, three, or four things that are high value and propel your your business or your career forward. So it does take some time to unravel the beliefs that are that are underneath the toxic busyness, overworking, workaholic tendency. And again, I had to do that work too. I, I do not teach from anything I don't haven't gone through myself. It definitely requires that you start to look at what you believe about yourself. It does. And guys, when you're listening to this and gals, like it's hard work. It's hard work to look at yourself. It is so easy to say, oh, I'm busy, which what you're really saying is, you know, I'm not going to deal with that. (laughs) I'm just not going to. Um, And that's okay. But like to just say I'm busy or to really look internally, because when you start to go, wait a second, am I just crossing things off a list while I am wishing that things could be different. And I don't, you know, I wish I didn't work so much. And, you know, we're stepping into victim mindset, even if we don't realize it, or, you know, it's attached to our self worth, even if we don't realize it, like taking a step and being willing to without judgment, really start to look at this of like, why do you need to cross, you know, 89 things off of a list every day? And what really what's the what's the payoff that you're getting from that? Yeah. And because I don't know, Teresa, like I'm with you, like at some point you will burn out and you will break down. We, we did, um, an initial session for a new business client that we're working with who landed in the ER and, uh, recently. And she's like, I have to change my ways because she was in the ER and and nearly died. And it was because of the stress Mm -hmm. of her business. And so this is not an avenue I want you to go down if you don't have to. (laughs) So for those of you who are like on some level hearing this, it's like, please tune in, like, please keep listening. And there's deeper work here to be done when you look at this and you use the word toxic and I'm with you, like toxic working habits. They really are, they really are toxic. Yeah. You know, something my business coach said to me, which I will always remember 
was that you can't operate where you're at today in order to achieve the kind of success that you want tomorrow. And so what that really opened my eyes to uh, when I entered the entrepreneurial world from being an executive was the realization that I had to shift the way I was thinking about success. Mm -hmm. And again, I see this with the executives that I coach as well, that the definition of success that is so often presented to me is is related to this sense of having to prove yourself. There's a real proving energy. And so you prove yourself with the results. You prove yourself with the performance appraisal, the promotion or whatever it might be. And so one of the things we start to, or I start to do with my clients, and I'd be curious to hear your view too, Jennifer, is is we start to inquire who are they without this proving energy? If what does success look like to you when you take apart this grip that success has on you in the terms that you've defined it as. And for a lot of people, that definition of success is not their definition. It's been passed down to them through society or through, you know, what we see all the time, like money and mm-hmm. big house and all of those things, which are all great. I, I think those things are fine, but there's a deeper meaning there. And if we can tap into that deeper meaning of success, Honestly, their results will will be tenfold when it comes from a place of inner-directed, meaning-based success versus outer-directed, societally-based definitions of success. So we do spend a lot of time really defining not only what does success look like, but what does sustainable success look like so that you don't end up in the ER like your, your client did and like I did in 2015. What does sustainable success look like on a day-to-day basis? And what beliefs do you need to have and embody in order to have that come to fruition? Yeah, it's so good. I, I, when I'd done this work on myself, like I had to really get honest with myself about like, yeah. you know, are you still worthy if you're not so busy, right? And I, I know yeah. that in, in the past, I've probably been even a little judgy on people who were not working as hard as I was working, or look at me, I work, I work the most mm-hmm. hours of everybody in the room. And yeah. there's a lot of ego that goes on there. Mm-hmm. And just being real with yourself. But when I really dove in and asked myself, like, where in the hell is this coming from? Um, it really was coming from childhood because as yeah. a kid, I was praised as being, I was the oldest child, the first child. I took care of all my sisters. I had a job very, very early, but I got a lot of praise and recognition and acknowledgement of, you know, I wasn't playing. I was doing my chores. I wasn't having a good time. I was taking care of my sisters. And so that's really where I got a lot of love and praise from was being that, yeah. we'll call it a little high achiever, even at a young age. Yeah. And I, I really got a lot of validation, you know, from being that person. And so it wasn't mm-hmm. until later on, when it was just like, geez, man, I can't keep doing this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you just can't keep up with those hours. And then you find there's other things in life that you want to do that are a lot of fun. And yeah. it's like, wait a second, I've really got to change my ways. But that was some very deep work. And when you work with executives on this, like, how do you help an executive have the courage to go in and really look at this stuff? And I do think it, it's courage. Like, you mm-hmm. have to be brave. You have to be willing to look at it. So how do you help somebody kind of get over that if they're just yeah. really 
not necessarily unwilling, but they're just like afraid or hesitant or resistant to like getting in there and really taking a good look at it? That's such a good question. I was just talking about this with um, someone else uh, because I do a lot of work with executive women, but I also do work with, with men. And what I find is that the entry point to these conversations about, about being more interdirected with men, it, I find when it, when the entry point looks a little bit different. So the entry point when I work with executive men is more related to what would the absence of, of stress or pressure give you more capacity to do. And I almost think of that as almost like a, like a backdoor entrance or just another way to get into more interdirected conversations. Cause again, not to be stereotypical, but that tends to be harder with my male clients than it would for my female clients. Yeah. But with my female executive clients, I find it, it, it the entry point is pretty quick. And it's often because they come to me at that critical inflection point where they're either asking themselves, what is this all for? What is the cost of me continuing to proceed at this level? And more uh, recently, a lot of women, especially since the pandemic, really looking at, I think Arthur Brooks calls it the second curve, right? So like I'm in my, I'm in my late forties, a lot of women I coach are in that, you know, demographic. And so a lot of women are now starting to ask, what do I want my second curve of life to look like? And well-being is topping the list. Mm -hmm. And so they still have ambition and they, but they still want to be well. And so part of it is asking themselves to really envision and embody a life and a career where well-being trumps some of the other maybe goals that we would have had in our 20s and 30s. That doesn't mean we don't, we, we put away ambition, not at all, but we do it differently. And so I find the entry point for women is really around psychological well-being and second curve and meaning and impact. And with my male clients, it's more around the absence of stress, the absence of pressure, and what they can do more of to improve their relationships at work and at home. Yeah. And so the entry points are a bit different. Um, but I, I do think that once trust is established, which is essential, as we know, between client and coach, the courage to have those conversations comes easier because we we are very clear on what we want mm -hmm. as part of our vision for the future. I mean, vision is so important. Mm -hmm. We need to know where we're going in order to start doing that interdirected work. Yeah, agree completely. And it's so interesting. I love how you said about the entry points because I do yeah. coach men and women. And I think a lot of times with women and guys, I'm talking in very general terms. So yeah. everybody don't get that pissed off, but just general terms. <laughs> Generally, I think women are very, very more open to the idea of processing their emotions. We, we tend to be a little bit more emotional, um, but it's okay for a female to be emotional. Whereas when I work with men, it's like you have to kind of like sneak around the back in, in there and get in there in a different yeah. way. Because yeah. at least with the male clients, I, and I love my male clients. I love everybody, but my male clients yeah. I love because I just feel like men... Teresa, I feel like the men, they just really need our help. <laughs> it's yeah. like as much as I can do to create strong, empowered men, yeah. I, I want to help do that. But I do have to kind of go around in a whole different way of getting in there because I see so often that they've just been taught to just push all that stuff down and not really deal with emotions. And they don't 
quite know even how to handle it or navigate that space. But when you can show a man like how to actually like process his emotions, you really show him how to step into his power in a way that he can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. It's such a beautiful thing. You said the key word there, I think, step into step into their power, because I, I do believe that and for men and women, actually, that we want more of that. We do want to step into our power, but power is defined by us versus power is defined by, you know, society or right. patriarchy or whatever it might be. So I do think that more and more of us are waking up to what does it actually mean to operate from this sense of agency and self-trust and personal power. And that's certainly a a really important pillar in the work I do with executives is really dismantling societal definitions of power and really unlocking what does it actually look like, feel like, and I'm a very big into somatics and and feeling type approaches to coaching um, as you operate from that place. Because I believe that once a way of leading is embodied and it's in your bones, if you will, then it, it tends to stick. The stickiness factor is there and it doesn't become fake. It's not fake it until you make it. It's like embody it or practice it until you embody it. Right. Has a different flavor, a different tone. Yeah. And I think that men and women can get behind that. Just the entry points are a little bit different. Yeah, agree completely. And when we talk about power, we're not talk about we're not talking about being domineering. We're not talking about yeah. being controlling. We're not talking about a lot of the ugly misuses yeah. of power that we see today. We're talking about something yeah. very beautiful. And that when you are fully in your power, I, I believe you're really just in love. You're you're in love with yourself. Yeah with others, with helping, with all of these really good things. And you can't really do that higher level work if you're not in your power. But I Mm. I love the second curve. I haven't heard that. So I just turned 50 a few months ago. And and this was the first birthday where I was like, oh, wait a second. I'm not going to live forever. Like 50 hit me. It was like, wait a second. Uh, no other birthday really hit me. I'm just like clicking along. Da, 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 da. Yeah. And 50 was like, wait a second, Jen, like, uh, you're officially like halfway and maybe even more than halfway, but I'm halfway is where I'm at right now. I'm like, okay, I'm halfway yeah. Yeah. because it really starts to become apparent that wait a second, I'm not going to live forever. And what do I really want to do with hopefully I'm blessed with another 50 years but like, what do I really want to do with that time? Should it be, oh, wow, she spent her whole life crossing shit off a list? I <laughs> No, that's probably not really what I want it to be. So, I know. right, I think as we start to get a little bit older, it starts to become a more apparent, which I actually think it's a very good thing to think about it in these yeah. terms of I'm not going to live forever because it just makes it much more clear that I need mm-hmm. to change how I'm yeah. looking at these things, what I'm choosing to cross off my list each day. I still like crossing things off my list. It's just sure. not so many things. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, I, and let me give credit to where credit's due. Um, so the second curve and this whole idea of like our, I guess our next chapter, if you will, I was really inspired by the work of Arthur Brooks. And um, he is a, an author in I think Harvard Business Review and The Atlantic. And that was where I really learned about how we each come to this critical point in our careers where we ask ourselves, 
what is it all for? And what's the meaning behind what I do? And that's the type of question I'm getting a lot more of from my executive clients. And so I think even in as a business coach or in in my business myself, I'll ask myself the second question. Okay, well, what's what's next for me in in my business? Which direction do I want to go to? So it's still a relevant question to ask whether you're a corporate or an executive. But I think that the meaning generation is upon us. And I think it really um, took hold after the pandemic. I mean, it may have already been in, in play, but I think it really started to take off after the pandemic hit and more and more women were leaving the workforce. Again, I'm using women just because that's a big part of the work that I do. And so now people are just asking themselves more meaningful questions. And the organizations that are not catching up to assigning value or meaning to what their employees do or what their executives do, what their teams do, what the organizations do, are being left behind. And so there is this need to connect to heart and connect to meaning and to connect to wisdom and teaching and and those types of things that I'm seeing more and more executives want to to do. But even more than that, it's their well-being. That has taken off. We are no longer willing to trade in dollars for time. And I think that the sooner we realize that, the sooner we need to come up with strategies where we can have a sustainable level of success while not also harming our physical and mental health. And I think that's becoming so prevalent now and is a large part of the work I do with executives is how do I hold on to both without losing myself? Yeah. And entrepreneurial bur- burnout is real too. So I know that that's something that I'm sure you've seen with your clients as well is how do I continue to create and build a beautiful revenue generating business without feeling like I'm working 24 seven. I see that a lot in entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, I see it as well. I've lived that as well. How do we scale? How do we grow? Because I don't want to give up my ambition. I don't want to give up my goals. Um, I want to live every area of life, but it does require us to evolve and change as we get to that next level. And we see that the way we did things before is not the way that that's going to get us to that next level. But, you know, we have a lot of business owners who are listening to this. And this is something I'm going through right now in my business of wanting to keep my amazing team. I don't have employees. We have all contractors. But mm-hmm. my amazing team, like, keep them engaged, but also retain them and create an environment. Because mm-hmm. I'm seeing that it's it's way more than the money. It's really about that environment yeah. where they feel nurtured. They feel heard and seen. They feel like they can develop their own skill set. And so what would you recommend uh, business owners who are listening right now who are looking at, you know, creating these positive work environments so that they don't get left behind? What would be some things that you would suggest to an employer uh, who wants to create a good work environment? Yeah, such a good question. You know, the very first thing that comes to my mind is freedom and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I mean that not just in terms of like how we work, although I know that's getting a lot of attention around having the freedom to work from home, the freedom to kind of create hours that suit you. Sure, those things are definitely important. They're more, they're easily more done in entrepreneurial settings and corporate settings. But more than that is the freedom of expression. So the freedom to bring ideas to the table that may not have been heard before and feel like they belong, right? So I think there is this this need to have a sense of belonging on a team, but also have the freedom to express ideas and thoughts and diversity of opinion and have it be welcomed. I think that 
Uh, that's a huge thing for, for teams right now. Um, you, you mentioned this word around being seen. That, again, is another thing that is so, so huge. And I think being seen goes beyond just, you know, having a meeting and seeing each other face to face, but really having all business owners know their people. So know them, know what matters to them, know what their their deeper aspirations are, know them in a more intimate level that makes people feel seen and like they belong and are part of something. Mm-hmm. I think in our very increasingly individualistic society, especially since the pandemic, we are moving away from being part of communities and collective groups. And so this in, you know, I guess they call it rugged individualism is a term I've heard. I think that's actually taking something away. People want to be part of a collective, of a community. And one way to do that, if you're a business owner listening to this, is get to know your people by asking them deeply meaningful questions and listening, like deeply listening and bringing their voices to the table in a community, not just one-to-one, but together to foster that sense of being part of something and belonging. Yeah, I love this so much. One of the things that we started doing is uh, maybe two years ago, well, we, we started um, doing retreats for our clients where we would hmm. take, you know, a dozen or so of our clients away and do fun things. And so, but I started bringing a lot of my team. And so the ratios of like coach to client are pretty, pretty small, which is actually really great for our clients. But I noticed that the retreat started to become a real bonding for me and my team because Mm -hmm. we're all virtual. We're spread out all over the country. We're on Zoom all the time. And there just isn't, it just just isn't the same. I mean, we can be face to face right now, but it's not the same of us being in a room together with each other, having a deep, meaningful conversation. And so that's one of the things that we have done is we've kind of taken our retreats and almost made them also a team building for my team where we all get to come together, we get to serve our clients, but then we're also coming together and being face to face. And I've just seen the dynamic with our team just get so much deeper and so much stronger when we know once a year that we're all going to come together in a beautiful space and really get to see each other, hear each other. I mean, even for me, just listening to things about and learning about them and knowing who they are. And now I can actually support them in the company and and adjust things as necessary so that we make it a win-win for everybody. So that's been a very beautiful thing for us of just taking time outside the office to really, yeah, we're working, but we're still spending deep, meaningful time with each other. I like that you brought that up. And, And especially because as I work with many organizations who are still struggling with this whole remote hybrid, in-office, new world that we live in. I think what is getting lost is in getting back to this topic around individualism versus collectivism or being part of a community. Mm-hmm. When we are largely remote, and again, this is not having a stand on how people work because I work largely remote. I love working remote. But I do think it's important that we do bring people together. Mm-hmm. The frequency can be decided among organizations or among businesses or among groups. But there is a power that happens, especially in communication, when people are what I like to call eyeball to eyeball. Mm-hmm. Part of my background is in neurolinguistic programming. And so we spend a lot of time talking about communication and body language so much is said by presence, by the presence of being in a room, the presence of being listened to when you're only a few feet away, the way you carry yourself, the way you stand, the way you speak. 
And so I think that it's worth mentioning that you can still hold on to your preferred way of doing your business, whether that's virtual or, you know, in Zoom, but let's not lose the art of human to human contact and human to human conversation, because that is truly where bonds are created and where unity is formed. I think that's a really important message for CEOs, business owners alike, is not to lose the art of the human to human connection. And we're losing it a bit already with this large movement towards remote only work environments. So it's something I feel quite passionate about. uh, And I think that many organizations are, are grappling with that feeling of not being connected to their people because of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness, Teresa, the time just flies. I could talk to you all day. Such a great conversation. And I know everybody who's listening, I hope you guys got some really good information here about, you know, your to-do list, looking at your productivity a little bit, uh, maybe even thinking about that eyeball to eyeball. What does that look like for you and your people, especially if you're in a virtual environment? So many great things. Teresa, where can people find you? So if they want to know more about you and your amazing coaching. Thank you. Uh, this has been so much fun, Jennifer. Thank you. I've had such a good time being on here. Yeah, the easiest place to get a hold of me is my website. It's just super easy, teresavoza.ca or .com. I'm from Canada, so it, it'll work for both. And also Instagram. Those are the two platforms where I hang out. And there's a whole bunch of free resources that people can, can access if they would like as well. Oh, wonderful. And you guys really check out Teresa's website because she does have a ton of great free resources that I, I know you guys would all love. So that is it for today's show, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being here with me today, Teresa. And everybody just get out there and have a happy, productive day. Bye, y'all. I hope you found today's episode of the Happy Productive Podcast inspiring. Every successful business is formed by a set of small, consistent, and attainable steps. If you want to learn more, come visit us at jenniferdawncoaching.com to take your next step and learn how to meet your business goals. On our website, you're going to find free resources along with links to the life-changing coaching programs that have transformed the lives of so many of our clients, including the Coaching Academy and our Unbreakable Retreats. Many of them started their journey by listening to this podcast. That's it. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. She Leads Podcast Network.